Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll examine a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with the growing realisation that Supreme Court Justice Alito's draft opinion to overturn Roe and Casey is not just about banning abortion, but is also a way to open the door to overturn laws protecting rights to privacy, such as the landmark Griswold v. Connecticut that legalized contraceptives and an earlier ruling legalizing interracial marriage, along with the recent ruling legalizing gay marriage. Joining us is Lisa Graves, the Executive Director of the new corporate watchdog group True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Justice Department, as Chief Counsel for nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as a Deputy Chief of the Article Three Judges Division for the U.S. Courts. Then we'll look into the legislative path forward to protect abortion rights, since the House has already passed such a bill, but the Senate is another matter, and the role of Senators Manchin and Cinema as saboteurs of the Democratic agenda emerges again, since the filibuster stands in the way of a Senate vote protecting minority rule, in spite of a clear majority of Americans opposing a ban on abortion with no exceptions for rape and incest. Joining us is Caroline Fredrickson, a professor of law at Georgetown University and a senior fellow at the Brennan Center and the president emerita of the American Constitutional Society. She's the author of The Democracy Fix, How to Win the Fight for Fair Rules, Fair Courts and Fair Elections, and The AOC Way, The Secrets of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Success, and previously served as the director of the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office and as general counsel and legal director of NARAL Pro-Choice America, and during the Clinton administration, she served as a special assistant to the president for legislative affairs. Then finally, we'll investigate the disconnect between the DHS Inspector General's report revealing how Trump's acting head of the Department of Homeland Security buried information on Russian interference in the 2020 election, and today's bill introduced by Senator Tom Cotton and Congresswoman Lauren Bobert to defund the DHS's newly formed Disinformation Governance Board. Joining us is Laura Thornton, Director and Senior Fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy at the German Marshall Fund. Previously, she was Director of Global Programs at the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance, where she managed multiple teams across Europe focused on constitution building, parliamentary process, elections, gender and inclusion, political parties, and democracy assessment and analysis. And before we go to our first guest, this program is completely independent without corporate sponsors and advertising relying entirely on your support. So we ask you to take a moment and visit backgroundbriefing.org slash donate or go to our nonprofit media foundation at publictruthmedia.org where you can keep us online and on the air on a growing number of stations for as little as $5 a month. Help sustain us into the future so that we can continue to provide breaking news analysis from the most knowledgeable guests at home and abroad. And we've made it easier for you to donate simply by credit card at backgroundbriefing.org slash donate, where your tax-deductible contributions make this program possible. And joining us now is Lisa Graves, the Executive Director of the new corporate watchdog group True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Justice Department, as Chief Counsel for nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as a Deputy Chief of the Article Three Judges Division for the U.S. Courts. Welcome to Background Briefing, Lisa Graves. Ian, thank you so much for having me. 
Well, thanks for joining us. And President Biden pointed out at a news conference at Andrews Air Force Base that the real scary part of Alito's draft opinion, uh, which is likely to be, I think, upheld by the Supreme Court and in overturning both Roe and Casey, which is what Alito argued for. What Biden mentioned is that this is an attack on all laws relating to privacy. So the door is open, is it not, for Griswold versus Connecticut, the the case that decided the state of Connecticut wouldn't allow contraception, and that was overturned. So are we heading to a situation where not just abortion will be banned in a lot of states, but contraceptives will be banned, interracial marriage will be banned, and gay marriage will be banned? Well, that's right. You know, this decision that leaked that uh, John Roberts confirmed uh, was authentic, is authentic, although not final, um, directly attacks these decades-long precedents, legal precedents that Americans rely upon that um, that ensure that states cannot uh, bar abortion, uh, whether it's in the case of rape or incest or at early stages of pregnancy. Those precedents ensure that states cannot bar access to contraceptives. Those uh, precedents ensure that Americans have the right to, to marry whom they, who they love so that American adults uh, can marry interracially, uh, that we can have gay marriage. These are fundamental rights that have been long recognized and protected by the Supreme Court. And now there is an extremist faction that is in control of the court that is determined to destroy those most basic human rights of all Americans. And this, of course, and not that we live in a necessarily a rational era where facts matter and where hypocrisy can be exposed, but it does expose the hypocrisy of conservatives, doesn't it? I mean, the idea, remember Ronald Reagan ran on the basis of get government off your back. Well, this is government in your bedroom, for God's sake. There's nothing more intrusive than this. That's right. This is government in your bedroom. This is government uh, in your doctor's office, standing between you and the recommendations of your doctor. If you have cancer, if you have other other issues that, um, that you know, the, the doctor is advising you on your options for abortion care. Um, this is a case where you have an extremist uh, a number of extremists who've been chosen by the Supreme Court, handpicked by Leonard Leo for Donald Trump, and then previous uh, appointees like Sam Alito from George W. Bush and Clarence Thomas from his father. These men and this one woman uh, appear to be determined to destroy and reverse decades of legal precedents, modern precedents that Americans rely upon. And in fact, it's it's in some ways worse than that, although it's hard to say that out loud, because what they're actually doing, what they're poised to do, is to say that government cannot regulate corporations uh, by diminishing and, and destroying key powers of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, in, a, in another decision that is coming out soon. Um, but government can regulate the most intimate choices that Americans can make. And so you have a, 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 a group, a clique on this court that has been chosen to destroy our power, the power of we the people to regulate corporations in numerous ways, innumerable ways, while also 
empowering the most narrow-minded, the most regressive of politicians who've captured some of these state legislatures and some of the state courts with the help of Leonard Leo uh, to roll back uh, decades of law and indeed a century of American law. So Leonard Leo of the Federalist Society, who's handpicked, he basically just hands this list to Trump. And it's not just that he got three of Leonard Leo's people on the Supreme Court, but throughout the entire federal judiciary, they've been putting these people in, the Federalists, including that incredibly incompetent and unqualified and ideological judge down in uh, Florida who ruled against the mask mandate. So what's going on there? I mean, I've, you know, and, and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse and others have made it clear that Leonard Leo doesn't represent even the diversity within the Catholic Church, let alone the diversity within American religion in, in its broadest sense, but for some reason or other, you, you can't talk about it. I have no idea why the two taboo subjects in this country are politics and religion. I mean, for God's sake, what else is left? I mean, so what's going on here? He is a far-right Catholic theocrat, right? And they're in league with religious right Protestant evangelicals. Is that what's going on here, that this is a kind of... Uh, you know, it's a part of the Republicans' long march towards theocratic rule. And as you just mentioned, it goes beyond intruding into our privacy and into who we love and what we can do with our own bodies. It also, this dark money that Leo and the Federalists have, they're basically aiming it now at these basic constitutional rights that you just mentioned in terms of the ability of federal agencies to regulate our air, our water, our work, our labor rights, our health care. I mean, this is radical beyond belief. That's right. This is radical. This is reactionary. In my opinion, Leonard Leo is an extremist in a thousand dollar silk suit and silk ties. He's someone who has become enriched uh, in many ways uh, and works uh, directly with a, a handful, if not more, of uh, very wealthy individuals who are vehemently opposed to women's reproductive rights, who oppose women's privacy rights, who are uh, against contraception. Um, and these regressive individuals, the ones who are funding Leonard Leo's uh, network, the network that he helps coordinate, he helps direct those funds of those anonymous uh, individuals who don't have the courage to come out in public and show the American people who they are, who's bankrolling and who bankrolled this effort to pack the court with some of the most extremist regressive judges we've had um, in, a, in more than a century. And um, as you point out, he has been working in tandem with a similar, uh, similarly um, oriented right-wing evangelicals through the Council on National Policy um, and through other vehicles to roll back Americans' rights and to advance a, a, a theocratic view of the law to basically uh, impose uh, their their own personal beliefs as binding legal requirements on, on all of us. And they are going to claim in this decision, as you can see from the leaked uh, opinion, that this is supposedly just restoring democracy. That's not the case at all. Uh, there are fundamental rights Americans have that no majority should be able to take away. And that includes these fundamental rights about our intimate lives. Um, this should not be subject to uh, these gerrymandered state legislatures where Republicans have, have basically tried to 
engraft minority rule in states where Democrats can win statewide offices, but they can't win a majority in the state houses because of these um, very partisan, hyper-partisan maps that, that have the effect of, of substantially reducing real democracy in America. Um, and you have these individuals tied to Leo, tied to his funders. He's been funding, uh, helping to channel, uh, funnel money to state attorneys general. He has been uh, help instrumental in sending money into state Supreme Court races. Uh, so all these levers where you have um, state power uh, in the hands of a very narrow-minded um, uh, crew, um, you have Leonard Leo helping to move the chess pieces uh, toward this day where um, if this decision, if Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey are overruled as the, as the opinion, uh, the draft opinion indicates, in some states, these sort of zombie laws uh, dating back decades, if not more than a century, will go into effect because they weren't repealed um, after the Roe versus Wade decision because they were unconstitutional, invalid. They should have been repealed as a cautionary measure, certainly. You have a case in Wisconsin where a bar on abortion dating back more than 170 years would sort of spring forward like a zombie um, as a result of this law. And then there are other states where extremists hold power, like Texas with the corrupt attorney general there um, and with the morally corrupt uh, governor, uh, in my personal view, uh, Greg Abbott, who pushed forward this extreme uh, hostile law, hostile to women's rights, the rights of women and girls to their own uh, destiny and to access to this, you know, basic uh, reproductive medical care. And so, you know, this is... But, but it, it was worse than that, Lisa. He set up a, a system of informants and bounty, which means that a young girl who's pregnant and maybe somebody that's pregnant through incest by a father or, or an uncle... There's nobody that this young woman can turn to because they will turn you in and get and collect money. It's absolutely evil. It is. It is. I think evil. It's. It's horrific, and it's astonishing to see this happening in the United States of America, even with all we've seen with this rise of this sort of uh, this fascistic political environment. You know, really stoked by Donald Trump. You have this widening of um, this extremism, and it's illegitimate. This court, uh, this decision by these judges who, who pledged when they were under oath at the Senate Judiciary Committee that they would follow precedent, that they accepted that Roe versus Wade was the law of the land, um, that, that Planned Parenthood versus Casey was the law of the land, that came after Justice Thomas was confirmed. But you have a situation in which this faction, this extremist faction has in essence, pledged to the American people in their confirmation hearings that they would follow precedent. But that at the first opportunity after the belated, the late breaking confirmation of Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett, one month before the 2020 presidential election, she was, you know, installed by Donald Trump with the help of Mitch McConnell, you know, at the first term where she sits in full, now they are poised to destroy these fundamental rights because that was their intent all of all. All along, that's exactly why they were chosen. That's, in essence, why Leonard Leo handpicked them. That's the promise that was made between Donald Trump and Leonard Leo. That is a, a promise that is uh, at odds with the interests and will of the American people. Abortion is literally more popular than any recent president. Um, and yet this small number of unelected people at the Supreme Court are determined to impose their personal private religious views on America by destroying these core legal precedents. 
But what's worse is is that this is an example of the tyranny of the minority because all of these judges were appointed by a minority president who got fewer votes than the person that lost. In, in Trump's case, three million short of, of Hillary Clinton. And in the case of George W. Bush as well, down in Florida, he was able, he put Alito on the court. And then you've got the fact that the Senate is dominated by red states with a lower population. There are more, there are many more Democratic votes in the Senate, but the Republican minority is able to put these people on the courts. So there's a structural problem there as well, isn't there? That's right, Ian. That's exactly right. We we are seeing witnessing. Uh, tyranny by this minority, this right-wing Republican minority, and the um, problems of the Senate, that it um, gives equal an equal vote to every state, no matter how small their population, means you have the, the body that's in charge of confirming the judges that is less representative of the American people, that is, in essence, overrepresented by Republicans just by geography versus actual the actual population of the United States in terms of the number of Democrats who are who um, who voted uh, for the Senate and for senators and so um, that distortion is um, is resulting in these this grotesque um, overreach this embrace of this extremism and as you point out um, it's not even embraced that this this attack on Roe is not even embraced by you know all all Catholics many Catholics support. A women's right to choose. Not all people of faith, of any faith, are on the side of the anti-abortion zealots. Um, they represent a small portion of America, even in those states where um, Leonard Leo's allies have gained such power, like with these attorneys general, some of these attorneys general and, and others. Um, and so that that minority rule, in essence, is fundamentally destructive of people's rights and um, it's very hard to overcome, but I think that this, you know, is a, a hopefully a galvanizing moment, but not just a moment. Uh, it will hopefully wake up many American people to um, come out to restore our rights and to repel this regressive um, effort to leap backward in time to before the New Deal, to this sort of dreamland of Leonard Leo and his secretive funders. Uh, which also include a not-so-secret man, uh, Charles Koch, uh, one of the richest men in the world, a billionaire who controls one of the largest privately held corporations in the world, and who has um, helped back these efforts to pack the court with people who um, will destroy key rights, including, as you mentioned um, so eloquently, Ian, our ability um, through our federal government to regulate um, our water, our air, and to try to mitigate climate change. Right. Um, Any, anything with the word public in front of it will be eviscerated. Uh, you know that I mean it, it is it is an assault on on the public on the public interest, but it's also an assault on you know core privacy rights. You know the Constitution, um, many justices over the last century, the, mo the modern era have recognized that the Constitution does indeed uh, protect rights that are not expressly enumerated. We have rights um, you know, that have been recognized because of the principles in the Constitution, a right to equal protection of the law, uh, which you know, um, has, has uh, been described as also including the ability of people to control their own destiny, the right of 
equality for women to have you know equal access to medical care, including this kind of medical care. Um, you have uh, this idea that how dare states bar interracial marriage? How fundamentally wrong is that? Even though it was based by many of the advocates of that pernicious those pernicious laws in their in their claimed religious beliefs or their claimed moral superiority. Um, and so, you know, America, the pluralistic society that we are, um, America, this, um, you know, uh, incredible mosaic of so many different people with so many different beliefs um, who have, a, who have a, I guess, a shared in general, a shared uh, commitment to freedom. Now that is under assault by these people who were handpicked by Leonard Leo and and pushed onto the court with the help of his dark money funders, as well as Charles Koch. Uh, and these, you know, five or perhaps six judges on the Supreme Court are it's seemingly determined to um, change our rights and try to do so without being honest with the American people when they were when they were subject to the one democratic check, which was the confirmation hearing process in the Senate. And just in closing, of course, the hypocrisy is extraordinary when you have people like Alito making it clear that if rights are not expressly enumerated in the Constitution, and he says abortion is not in the Constitution, then it has to be struck down. And of course, there's a lot of unenumerated rights, which they're all in favor of, like executive privilege and qualified immunity, etc. So and just to note that what both Justice Alito and Thomas complained about in the dissent in the gay rights decision, the Oberfeld, and Alito, shortly after that, he gave a speech at the Federalist Society where he complained about gay marriage. And I'll just quote what he said. You can't say that marriage is a union between one man and a woman anymore, he complained. Until very recently, that's what the vast majority of Americans thought. Now it's considered bigotry. Uh, well, it is bigotry. <laughs> there you right? go. <laughs> it but, is but bigotry. Yeah, right. as, as you point out, oh, Ian. God help us. Yeah. Yeah. The hypocrisy is 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 also noted by the fact that they've destroyed express rights to protect the the voting rights of Americans. They've uh, destroyed the uh, our ability to limit this dark money in our elections through the Citizen United decision. And so it doesn't matter whether it's an express right or it's it's an implied right. If, if it's in the way of the narrow right-wing regressive views of these very partisan, hyper-partisan judges like Alito, they are determined to destroy it. Well, Lisa Graves, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you so much, Ian. Thanks for having me on. And again, I've been speaking with Lisa Graves, who's executive director of the new corporate watchdog group, True North Research. She has served as a senior advisor in all three branches of the federal government, as deputy assistant attorney general in the Justice Department, as chief counsel for nominations on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as a deputy chief of the Article Three Judges Division for the U.S. Courts. We're going to take a brief station break and back look into the legislative path forward to protect abortion rights. You and me and I when I was your girl Promised if I'd be your wife You'd show me the world But all I've seen of this old world Is a bed and a doctor bill I'm tearing down your brooder house Cause now I've got the pill All these years I've stayed at home While you had all your fun 
another baby's come There's gonna be some changes made Right here on Nursery Hill You set this chicken your last time Cause now I've got the pill Welcome back, I'm Ian Masters and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Caroline Fredrickson, a professor of law at Georgetown University, a senior fellow at the Brennan Center and the president emerita of the American Constitution Society. She's the author of The Democracy Fix, How to Win the Fight for Fair Rules, Fair Courts and Fair Elections, and The AOC Way, The Secrets of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Success. She previously served as the director of the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office and as general counsel and legal director of NARAL's pro-choice America, and during the Clinton administration, she served as a special assistant to the president for legislative affairs. Welcome to Background Briefing, Caroline Fredrickson. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks for joining us, Caroline. And nine months ago, the Women's Health Protection Act passed the House of Representatives 218 to 211 with total opposition from Republicans. And President Biden was asked at Joint Base Andrews about whether the Senate should do away with the filibuster to codify Roe v. Wade. He said, I'm not prepared to make those judgments now. But he did go on to say that such a law makes a lot of sense. So what is the legislative path forward? Well, it's a difficult one, and it's the same one that we face on so many other areas of uh, of law where there is absolutely a need for legislation to pass, like in voting rights, democracy issues. Um, and it's the Senate, and it's the filibuster, and it's Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Well, Joe Manchin himself, of course, does not support abortion rights, as does uh, Senator Casey. So if you had Susan Collins and, and Lisa Murkowski's vote, you would still be, what, 52, right? At best. Well, you you well, let's see. You if you if you couldn't have Joe Manchin, right? But I think you I, I think if you could change the filibuster, you could actually get a majority. And that of I course think, I, Yeah, I think you'd get enough Democrats that you'd be able to get across the finish line. Um it might require some negotiation, but the filibuster itself is going to stymie any prospect for that until Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema decide that there's something more important than their own egos. Well, some people describe them as traitors to the Democrats, and others suggest that they're basically saboteurs of the Democratic agenda. I don't think there's much doubt, is there, Caroline, that probably Biden's failure to get big bill back better through is probably the biggest millstone the Democrats have around their neck for November. Would you agree with that? Well, I think certainly, I, I think it's really a shame, though, that they also have completely failed to sell what they've gotten done already. They actually got a massive um, infrastructure bill through, which is providing a lot of funding um, for, um, for for projects all across the country, and they really haven't <laughs> haven't let anybody know about it. So, yes, not passing that bill is a problem. But not actually doing the work of of salespersonship on what they have done is, in my mind, in some ways, a bigger problem. Well, I think the biggest problem of all is that we have a Republican Party that's become completely radical. I, I mean, if you look back at when Roe v. Wade was passed almost 50 years ago, it was a 7-2 to two opinion. 
uh, with five Republican-appointed justices joining in the majority. And now you've well, got... Well, there's no doubt about that, right? That is absolutely the biggest problem we face in this country right now, is that we have only one party that's interested in continuing the democratic system and in governing, and we have another party that's committed to completely unwinding the democratic process. And the odd thing is that one person put these right-wing or even reactionary jurists on the Supreme Court that are now in the majority, particularly the last three under Trump, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, but before then, of course, Alito, who wrote the majority opinion, and that, of course, is Leonard Leo of the Federalist Society. So how does this happen? Why is it that we can't have a national debate about the idea that this one man has had such undue power and influence? He basically sends the list over to the White House and uh, Trump, and and before him, George W. Bush, just sign off on it. And now the judiciary is stacked with his choices, many of them young, a lot of them completely unqualified. We just saw that with the judge down in Florida who ruled against the CDC's mask mandate on the basis of totally specious legal reasoning. So what explains that, and why is it Except for Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, there hasn't been any discussion about the undue influence and the dark money that Leonard Leo has been able to deploy to stack the federal bench. Well, you know, it's a conundrum, right? That is, it's a really hard challenge for us on the left to create the understanding among Americans that the courts are a vital place for us to focus our attention. The right has done a really good job of that, right? And they've they've funded. Leonard Leo's activities to such a degree that he's been able to create a multitude of different organizations that affect uh, our judicial process in many different ways, from state courts to attorneys general to the federal court system uh, to the litigators and so forth. Um, He's in the middle of all that, um, and, um, and their base is completely wound up over who serves on the Supreme Court. You know, on the left, we get engaged episodically when, you know, we see the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and everybody's sad and they wear, you know, their t-shirts and, um, but where are we in terms of organizing and focusing our political energies to make sure that, um, we push to have the right judges on the bench. And so it's an ongoing project. I'm glad that Senator Whitehouse is really focused on it and I'm glad he's trying to get his colleagues to engage um, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm hoping that, the, you know, this moment now will will help galvanize that. And as you mentioned, there's the judge in Florida, Judge Mazzell, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. And now with Alito's scandalous opinion, which is maybe even worse than her opinion in terms of legal reasoning. Um, you know, we have a lot to work with, I hope. But, you know, the problem is that our outrage on the left seems to to wane so quickly that we get upset about a single decision, but not about the institution of the court. And that's our problem. And again, I'm speaking with Caroline Fredrickson, a professor of law at Georgetown University, a senior fellow at the Brennan Center and the president emerita of the American Constitution Society. She's the author of The Democracy Fix, How to Win the Fight for Fair Rules, Fair Courts and Fair Elections, and The AOC Way, The Secrets of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Success. And she previously served as the director of the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office and as general counsel and legal director of NARAL Pro-Choice America. And during the Clinton administration, she served as a special assistant to the president for legislative affairs. And surely the nomination process and the hearing process has to be dealt with, doesn't it? I mean, now you've got Susan Collins 
and to a lesser extent, Lisa Murkowski, and certainly in Colin's case, saying she feels like she was led astray by Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. And apparently Gorsuch sat down in her office and talked about the book he wrote about stare decisis, about, about sticking with settled law. So clearly these nominees, they, well, can you say they lie? I mean, that's what it looks like. Or at least uh, they, I mean, they yeah, gloss over their say, real... If Susan Collins actually believed that, let's sell it, you know, you could sell her that a, a bridge in Brooklyn or whatever the cliche is. She didn't believe it. I just, I, you know, I think I'm incredibly cynical about Susan Collins because it's, look for an example of when she's actually voted in a way that hurt her party. Her votes in favor of uh, or against a, a, a bad nominee will only come when, in fact, um, she's not at risk, right? Or the party's not at risk of losing. Um, she never sticks her neck out. Uh, and so, you know, in this case, you know, I, do I believe it? No, I just, I think she knew, I think she's cynical. I think she's just trying to stay in good graces with her part, with her party. Uh, she never really hurts them. Um, and then she can somehow pull the wool over the eyes of the voters in Maine and say, you know, I'm really pretty moderate. And in fact, her votes never end up serving any moderate purpose. So what can be done to have honesty and transparency in these nomination processes, which they've just obviously, they're prepared to basically avoid any controversy and just mouth platitudes and assure people that they're going to just call strikes and balls and stare decisis and all that stuff, and it's just been... Well, Ian, I don't think there's any answer that way because the Republicans are always going to nominate Neanderthals. Scary right-wing nominees are going to be the nature of the Republican um, uh, process, right? That's what they're going to come up with. So the only real answer is to make sure that the Senate is in control of people who actually um, favor judicial nominees who believe that the Constitution is we the people. Uh, It's not for we the plutocrats or we the theocrats or um, uh, we the anti-democrats. You know, it is about uh, the vision that you have for society. And the Republican Party now is so cynical. uh, And what they view um, uh, the role of judges to be is to serve their partisan interests. So is it then possible that we can mobilize enough voters? Obviously, voter suppression is extraordinary. You had this recent essay by Judge Michael Lutick, a very conservative judge, literally warning, and Rick Hassan, an expert on elections, has also mm-hmm. sent out a warning. They've laid it out that this coming election in November is a trial run for stealing the 2024. It's as clear as day. So this has to be massive mobilization. It would seem that maybe overturning Roe v. Wade will help in that regard. But it seems to me that that the ammunition for the debate has got to include the fact that this radical Supreme Court is not just overturning Roe v. Wade and Casey. It's going to open the door to overturning all rights to privacy, including contraception, interracial marriage, gay marriage. But more importantly, they've already gone after OSHA and the CDC. And we're going to go back to FDR's days when he first got elected, where they just literally will get rid of, as Steve Bannon said, deconstruct the administrative state. That is clearly their agenda, and that is terrifying. 
I totally agree. But I also think that you've also identified the, the really the only solution that we have is the mass mobilization. Um, and, you know, it should there, when this decision comes out, and I don't think it's going to be very different from what we've seen in Alito's leaked draft, I think we need to have mass demonstrations across this country. We need to have people engage and understand that, yes, indeed, this is not just abortion, although that should be enough to make people um, organize and get out in the streets. But it is the right to marry who whom you want to marry. It is the right to have access to contraception. Um, it's the right to have intimate relations with people of your own choosing in your own private bedroom. But it's also beyond that. There are there are cases that depend on this reasoning that involve parents' relationship with their children. There is a very broad set of familial relations and intimate relations that are at risk um, from the reasoning of this decision. And so we need to mobilize and we need to make sure people are educated about this and recognize that the courts themselves are as essential a part of our focus as the elected branches. If we don't, you know, this is a loss for the long, the long term. But who's going to educate the Democratic activists in order to get people out on the streets and equip them with the arguments, in the, if indeed we are stuck in this post-truth America where facts don't matter, but still, I think there's still a chance. I mean, the idea that Bannon's deconstruct the administrative state is really the end goal of this radical new Supreme Court, accruing massive power to itself to basically override government expertise in all departments, whether it's OSHA, EPA, CDC, you name it, anything with public in front of it is going to be eviscerated. No, that's right. But, you know, and this is this is the biggest challenge that we've ever faced. I mean, Ian, you are a vital part of this. I'm going to try and play my part. Activists in every different category of work have to join together to make it clear to Americans what's at stake. I mean, if you care about the environment, if you care about racial justice, if you care about gender issues, if you care about um policing or schooling or any number of other areas, you've got to understand what's at risk right now. And so we have the joint responsibility to educate our fellow Americans about why they need to participate in the process, in the political process, because the administrative state goes down. Well, you can stop drinking your tap water, right? You've got to better wear a mask, but not to keep yourself safe from COVID, but to, you know, to filter out the pollution in the air around you. You know, public schools will not be funded, even less funded than they are now. Um, so, you know, I think we just we have to make it clear what the end game is on the right. It is to deconstruct the administrative state. And that has powerful consequences for all of us. Well, Caroline Fredrickson, I thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been a pleasure, as always, although I, I, I feel like our conversations are always pretty depressing. <laughs> well, they are. But I think the point about getting people motivated. I mean, everybody has to do their part and more. And That's think, right. Exactly. I thank you. All the best. That's what keeps us going. So thank you for what you do. I really appreciate it. 
And again, I've been speaking with Caroline Fredrickson, a professor of law at Georgetown University, a senior fellow at the Brennan Center, and the president emerita of the American Constitutional Society. She's the author of The Democracy Fix, How to Win the Fight for Fair Rules, Fair Courts and Fair Elections, and The AOC Way, The Secrets of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Success. And she previously served as the director of the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office and as general counsel and legal director for NARAL Pro-Choice America. And during the Clinton administration, she served as special assistant to the president for legislative affairs. We're going to take a brief station break and back investigating the disconnect between the DHS's Inspector General report revealing Trump's acting head of DHS buried information on Russian interference in the 2020 election and today's bill introduced by Senator Tom Cotton and Congressman Lauren Bobbitt to defund the DHS's newly formed Disinformation Governance Board. Coming from the field that this ain't exactly real or it's real but it ain't exactly Disorder from the sirens night and day, from the fires of the homeless, from the ashes of the gay. Democracy is coming to the USA. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Laura Thornton, who's Director and Senior Fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy of the German Marshall Fund. Previously, she was Director of Global Programs at the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance, where she managed multiple teams across Europe focused on constitution building, parliamentary process, elections, gender and inclusion, political parties, and democracy assessment and analysis. Welcome to Background Briefing, Laura Thornton. Lovely to be back. Well, thanks for joining us again, Laura. And it turns out that the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General is doing a report on what happened during the Trump administration. And they've learned how the Department of Homeland Security under Trump, under Chad Wolf, who was an acting director of DHS, manipulated reports on Russian election interference and delayed them. I think there was some coverage at the time. I think ABC News had a piece Mm -hmm. on it. But now it's laid out for all to see. And yet (laughs) this is being accompanied by the fact that Rand Paul is blocking the nomination of um, Joe Biden's nominee to Undersecretary for Intelligence and Analysis at DHS, Kenneth Mm -hmm. uh, Weinstein. And Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton and U.S. Representative Lauren Bobbitt have introduced today a bill to defund Homeland Security's formation of a new disinformation governance board. So there's a contrast there, isn't there, Laura? On the one hand, we're learning (laughs) that the Russians did interfere. DHS knew about it. Chad Wolf stopped it cold and sanitized the report and altered it. And uh, at the same time now, you've got uh, the two fairly rabidly conservative Senator and Congressman introducing a bill to stop them from publishing the information that they have, along with Rand Paul stopping the nomination of the head of the division that oversees such matters. So welcome to Washington. What else can I say? (laughs) DHS is having quite the week. Um, Yes, it is is rather extraordinary and um, that these stories sort of are breaking at the same time. But yeah, they do, I think, weave very closely into one another for sure. Elaborate, if you will, then, on what what we're learning from the Inspector General's report. Yes, I mean this is uh, this is 
as, as you said rightly, this was not the first time we had heard this, but now the, the report is out and, and, and available for folks to read. It, it's just more the way uh, the Trump administration has leaned on um, bodies uh, that are supposed to operate I would like to think of them as referees um, and, and, and bureaucracies. But we've seen, you know, we saw a history under the Trump administration of him leaning on the independence of, of these uh, bodies to put him in a place him in a favorable light. And so and we also have known, again, nothing new that the Trump administration was rather or Trump himself was rather hostile towards inspectors generals. <laughs> like that was that's not his favorite thing. Um, and oversight bodies were often undermined in his administration. So, you know, it wasn't particularly new to hear that he was not pleased by, uh, or people in, around him were not pleased by anything that would, would, would put him in a negative light, uh, particularly his sort of Achilles heel was, was Russian interference because it, you know, cast doubt on his ability to win the election on his own. And of course, winning is, is very much the Trump brand. Um, and if anything is making him seem weak in that regard, it, it has to be diverted. Um, so that's what sort of the gist of this report is showing was that they just weren't following protocol, that they were sitting on this uh, Russian interference information for some time. Then they were trying to highlight China and Iran to distract from <laughs> Russia's interference in the elections. And it just it just speaks to a broader pattern. Um, and then the second story, which or third story, I guess, of the disinformation board um, is is exactly to to deal with the threat that the intelligence report shows. If Russian interference in our elections, in our political process, is not has not gone away. It happened in 2016, it happened in 2020, and it's certainly, in, and we track in my organization, it continues to happen today. And therefore, it wasn't, it's, it's not surprising that the DHS would set up a board to kind of gather this intelligence and come up with strategies to deter disinformation from malign actors. Um, but now that's under attack. So it, it is it is a very difficult situation that we're in. And it, it speaks to me of a great need for more independent bodies to to do this, because our uh, unfortunately, our government bodies are, you know, painted with the partisan brush on both sides. But Trump was not only acting because of his excessive ego in terms of not wanting to seem like he had anything but this glorious victory that he kept talking about, how wonderful his Electoral College victory was, but without mentioning <laughs> the fact that he was three million short in the popular vote, um, which he blamed <laughs> on five million imaginary Mexicans. Stolen votes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and remember, the five million Mexicans. So, Of course. But the other more sinister motive, perhaps, is the extent to which Trump is uh, under some sort of sway from Putin. And the Senate Intelligence Committee made a pretty clear case that there were massive mm -hmm. ties to Russia in terms of interfering with the 2016 elections. So it may not have been the determining factor, but it was certainly they, mm -hmm. they were all in. And that is a story that still has not been fully fleshed out. That's true. Um, and, you know, we just keep getting drip, drip, drip. And but yes, it hasn't been sort of fully brought to light. We just have sort of pieces of the puzzle. And but we can you know, we judge by our own um, 
eyes and ears. And, you know, for me, I think a turning point, I'm not a turning point, but a, a clear example uh, was Helsinki, uh, the press briefer, where um, he very openly dismissed his own intelligence community uh, and, and, and took basically, I would say, took Putin's side on that. And that was, I think, a real five alarm fire. And yeah, I mean, I, and he, even though on the, you know, Russia's war in Ukraine, initially he was, he was particularly weak in criticizing uh, Russia. And then he, you know, came around and, and did say that the, the, the invasion was uncalled for, but notably still hasn't directly called out uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, so there is, you know, there does continue to be this pattern of uh, behavior. I mean, Trump is is one person, but also, unfortunately, we do see this, you know, pro-Putin energy in some of the circles on the right. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of attention has been given to Tucker Carlson, but it also has appeared um, in, you know, Republican Congress people sort of repeating Russian disinformation talking points. And I think that, you know, we really need to be mindful of this going into the midterms. And, you know, we're going to be, my organization, Alliance for Securing Democracy, is going to be tracking a lot of this uh, in the midterms. We're setting up an entire dashboard to look at this interplay between the laundering of information and the laundering of disinformation. So Russia puts out a false talking point, and we'll be able to see Who's repeating it? Like what local media outlets are repeating it? What candidates are repeating it? What political parties are repeating it? And I think we're going to have to just continue to shine a light on that um, because this this has not gone away and uh, the incentives for Russia to interfere in our democracy have not gone away. Well, obviously, I want to talk more about that and think about Rand Paul, uh, who, along with Tucker Carlson, is a huge cheerleader for Putin and, and parrots mm. Putin's talking points. But just to touch on Helsinki, something else that happened at Helsinki that was in many ways more pernicious. Trump was crowing, was, was glowing about how Putin had off, made this wonderful offer that the U.S. could interview Russian intelligence officers that have been accused of being involved in helping, interfering in the 2016 election in exchange for Putin yeah. getting access to people he wanted to kill, for God's sake, Bill Browder. And I don't know when he wanted to kill the former ambassador, Michael McFaul, but he said he wanted to get his hands on him. Mm-hmm. Here you have the President of the United States handing over the guy who's responsible for the Magnitsky Act, which was driving Putin crazy, mm-hmm. and former U.S. ambassador to Russia. I mean, he thought it was a great deal. It's extraordinary. And and you add to that, you know, the back channels, conversations that took place, you know, even during uh, right after he was elected. uh, And then, of course, all the documented meetings, um, you know, during the campaign. And then, of course, meetings with the Russian ambassador in the White House where declassified (laughs) classified information was immediately declassified with one of our um, foes, you know, it, yeah, it's, we can, we can, we can go on and on there. Right. <laughs> well, sure. Let's get back to the subject at hand mm. that we're discussing, Laura, because I, I saw some of the recent hearing of the secretary of state Blinken on Ukraine. And of course, ritually he was attacked by Rand Paul, but Rand Paul was literally parroting Putin's talking points. So here he is, blocking 
the nominee, Biden's nominee for the head of uh, Undersecretary for Intelligence and Analysis, the very group that finds this information through DHS, Kenneth Weinstein. So there you have it, don't you? I mean, <laughs> the guy that's blocking Weinstein's appointment is also pro-Putin. So is he doing it? Because, as he claims, we don't want a Ministry of Truth in America. Well, <laughs> we have a Ministry of Truth. We have a Pravda of the Republican Party in Fox News. We have, Rand Paul is hardly uncompromised, shall we say. It would, yeah, it would appear in some ways. So, it, particularly the talking points about you know Ukraine, Ukraine belonging to Russia. I mean, that is the, sort of the deepest cut, and even uh, the parroting of the the not the Nazification of Ukraine. Yes, it's it's appalling. But I think you're. It's not just Rand Paul. I think this desire to go after. Um, the government's ability to track malign actors is is extremely unfortunate because I, and I don't know if, if it's, you know, they're covering something up. Uh, we're worried about something that might happen, like the exposure that Russia might be, you know, supporting a particular candidate for office and that that is something that they want to avoid. So they don't want this ministry. But I also think there's just to just so much distrust. So I know the person very, quite well, the woman that's being appointed as the head of the disinformation board. I used to work with her and Nina and, um, you know, they're attacking her as being partisan. And I think it, it just, it, it, so if our government bodies are just seen as, as politicized incorrectly or correctly, you know, that's exactly what the Russians want. I mean, that's exactly Putin's goal is to have us, you know, in, embroiled in these partisan bickering. And that in turn debilitates our ability to track what Putin is doing. It's it's just the perfect play. Um, so we're just feeding into his hands. And, uh, you know, I don't know what we can do about it because we've just gotten to the point where, we don't have any neutral referees that both sides trust and just will accuse the other of being a partisan or this disinformation board is Orwellian and, and how can they decide truth? It's, you know, well, what are we supposed to do here? I mean, we have the fact checkers can't even be trusted anymore. Um, so I don't know what that means for the future of DHS's ability to do this work. I do think it, it speaks to a, a very large need for independent organizations and non-governmental organizations to also jump in and and, and do more of this. So um, that's what I'm hoping going forward. Well, you mentioned Nina, Nina Jankowicz, and I've interviewed her a number of times, and I interviewed her because she's an expert on Russian mm -hmm. disinformation. She speaks Russian and uh, reads and follows Russian media. That's her professional life. So Exactly. What is going on here? I mean, the idea that you, you want to f fire the very person that's the most qualified? Is there, yeah, because... Where's the pushback coming from? I mean, what can you do with this kind of... I mean, it's sort of trolling because, you know, Senator Rand Paul, that's what he does. He, yeah, you know, absolutely. he's deeply unpopular, even with his own caucus, uh, because he's such a nuisance. But what can be done here to stop this undermining of America's ability to protect itself from a malign foreign actor who's already got a track record of interfering in our elections and 
presumably will do so in November of this year. Even even with more, I think, motive, because as far as Putin's concerned, he's at war with the United States. He he is at war with the United States. I and I do think that that he can sort of chew gum and walk at the same time. So I think he's able to you know uh, focus on Ukraine and focus on sowing disinformation across Europe uh, powerfully. Uh, participating in the recent Hungarian elections, for example, and and able to to focus on the United States and the the wedge. It, it's we're, we make it very easy for him. <laughs> so we have so many things pulling us apart. So he doesn't, you know, he and his trolls don't have to do much to like throw a little match on the flames that already exist. Which sort of gets to your question: is is how do we get around how do, how do we get around this? post-truth, post-fact world where we're sort of stubbornly in our, you know, media infospheres and how do we bridge those gaps? And I, you know, the more I, I just don't know the role that government's going to be able to play, which is depressing because we do want our intelligence services and our DHS to protect us. That is their job. But Everything is looked at as deep state or, you know, um, the Ministry of Truth or, or whatever nonsense that they're coming up with. But really what it is, is we just don't trust you. And, and, and we didn't trust, you know, I mean, we Democrats and, and people that are concerned about foreign interference didn't trust a lot of the things coming out of the Trump White House. And we've seen evidence that sort of backs our concerns. So then what do we do? Um, and I, I just think the onus is, and it's not a pleasant answer, and it's not the only answer, but I do think the onus is just going to fall more and more on us. Um, I mean, the public is, we are sort of part of the problem. And I've been thinking, I mean, we think a lot at ASD about what do we do about building our resilience? Um, you know, we're eating this up hook, line, and sinker. We are going down the rabbit holes of conspiracies and disinformation. Three million people watch Tucker Carlson, including my family members, and love him and think everything he says is true, and everything reported by the New York Times is a big lie. So I, the solution there is, I think, going to be you know, a long-term project of, you know, civic education. It's, it's going to have to go beyond that. It's, it's going to be like community building, rebuilding sort of social networks and, you know, working at that local level, hopefully supporting more local journalists. But, you know, there isn't sort of one easy answer because the, the distrust at, 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 at the government level is so high. Well, Laura Thornton, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And again, I've been speaking with Laura Thornton, who's Director and Senior Fellow at the Alliance for Securing Democracy at the German Marshall Fund. Previously, she was Director of Global Programs at the International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance, where she managed multiple teams across Europe focused on constitutional building, parliamentary process, elections, gender and inclusion, political parties and democracy assessment and analysis. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters, and I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon. And to help us sustain this program into the future and assure it remains free to all, please take a moment to support us by going to backgroundbriefing.org donate or publictruthmedia.org, where you will find our nonprofit Public Truth Media Foundation, where your tax-deductible donations, large and small, keep us broadcasting. 
And if you missed any of today's program and would like to explore our vast archives, you can find us at backgroundbriefing.org, where we'll include extended interviews searchable by topic and have made it easy for you to sign up for daily email updates that provide links to resources, articles, and books discussed on the program. Also, you can find links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we also encourage your ratings and reviews on these platforms. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ian Masters Media, and please do help us reach more listeners by sharing this program with friends, family, and colleagues. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing at backgroundbriefing.org. Bye for now. The guy that lived next door in 305 Took the kids to the park and disappeared by half past